The views expressed on the following podcast are for entertainment and education purposes only. Uh, they are the opinions of the host and are not intended to be advice. All right, so now that we have that covered, um, first of all, you are, well, first of all, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate that. And if you've tuned in before, you're thinking, this is not L.A. Blackburn, and you're right. Uh, this is Preston. I'm a friend of uh, Mr. Blackburn's, and he's asked me to fill in for him. Uh, he's doing fine. He's just had some things come up, and so I, he asked me to help him out, and I'm doing that. So hopefully this will go well. Uh, thank you again for attending and listening in. Uh, we hope that you find this uh, useful and valuable. So what we're going to talk about today, and, and uh, we were kind of kicking this around when he asked me to fill in, um, and just based on my background, uh, and I don't want to go too much into this because I really don't like talking about myself, but uh, I, have a, I have some graduate degrees in history and theology and that kind of thing. So he said, you know, why don't you talk about uh, the difference between uh, systematic theology and biblical theology, maybe go through that, it might be might be useful. So I said, okay, well, no problem. I'll put some things together. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through just some basics on systematic theology and biblical theology. And uh, we'll talk about systematic theology first. But what we're going to do is just look at some kind of how they're set up as academic disciplines, as disciplines, basically, and look a little bit at the background uh, how they're used, and then some of the problems we run into with each of these as well. And uh, I suppose, like anybody else, I have my own particular bias, but uh, and, and maybe you can figure that out, hopefully not. But, um, but we'll go through both of these, and uh, as I said, hopefully this will be useful for you. So when we talk about systematic theology, so here's how this works. Basically, it is at least as a discipline, okay, so not to say that biblical theology isn't older, I think they both kind of run side by side in many ways, but as far as a specific discipline, it is generally thought of to be the oldest type of theology, and what it tries to do is it tries to pull, on a particular point, it tries to pull all the elements of scripture together and look at everything as a whole and, well, create a system. And so that's why it's called systematic theology. And so it'll take various subjects, and just to give one example, like the nature of God. And it will look at what Scripture as a whole, and all its areas, what it says about that topic, the nature of God. Okay? <clears throat> now, within that, too, you can also subdivide this and break this into smaller categories. So, for example, you might take the nature of God, and then it can be broken down and subdivided into other characters. And so maybe you look at, um, I don't know, you look at like God's justice, for example, or maybe you look at God's love. And of course, the, cate the categorization here, the subcategories could go on and on on this. Now, as far as, so that's basically kind of what we're talking about when we talk about systematic theologies, an attempt to look at Scripture as a whole and pull everything together and put it into a system where everything is categorized. 
So when we look at the background on this, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but just kind of run through a few things on development. So you can make a case that this goes this goes back in sort of a basic form to the baptismal creeds in the second century and the and the basic church doctrinal creeds as they're developing in the fourth and fifth centuries. Um, the first real attempt to develop a systematic theology as far as like an academic work and that kind of thing is when we look at John of Damascus and this is in the 700s and actually he's still uh, the work is still used in the Eastern Orthodox Church as far as classical basis for uh, Eastern Orthodox theology and if you move forward you run into the 1100s with with um, Peter Lombard and he makes some developments on top of what John of Damascus had done, and Lombard will pull in the Church Fathers as well, and and some, and then you have Saint Thomas in the 1200s, and he's pulling in not only the Church Fathers but also just applying logic as well. In this, on the Protestant side, probably the best example, at least early on, is going to be John Calvin with his with his um, Christian Institutes in the 1500s, as well. Then uh, you go through the Enlightenment, you get Charles Hodge in the late 1800s with really kind of a, a systematic theology that's a response to the skepticism and the Enlightenment period. And then for those of you who are looking at something a little more modern, if you, if you want two good sources would be Wayne uh, Grudem and George Bray as well. These are two contemporaries that have written works on systematic theology. So just again, very quickly, you know, a brief, uh, a brief, you know, sketch of the history of uh, systematic theology. So what do we use this for? So we've kind of gone through maybe more than what you wanted to know on the history, but what do we use this for? Well, so one of the things here is what systematic theology tries to do is it tries to summarize the teachings of Scripture as a whole. On a particular topic. So, for example, what does the scripture as a whole say about the nature of God? All right. So, um, it, it also kind of helps to formulate again generally what we what we know about God. Maybe the Holy Spirit, maybe Jesus, and their natures as well. Um, it helps us to form doctrinal statements as well as we pull all of this information together. And this is certainly what was done early on. Um, it can also just really sort of help us focus on what we do know and then consequently how should we act toward based on what we know. Um, another thing that it's good for, I think, as well is because it shows us what we, what we know. Uh, it also kind of helps us measure what are we being taught? How do we know something is correct? Uh, is is something we're being taught correct? Is it not correct? Is it partially correct? I mean, how does that work? And then, you know, lastly here is it, it because it's a system, it lets us bring new things into the system. So just a couple of examples here is, you know, here over the last, you know, really, I guess, 40 to 50 years maybe, you know, you have this notion about how should Christians react to money? You know, what what is the Christian stance on money? So it can help us pull that in. Or even more recently, you know, so how 
to uh, what's the Christian response to the role of women within the church or the role of Christian women within society. You know, those kinds of, so we can sort of pull in those new questions and put them into that system. So that gives us some of the uses. So what are some of the problems here? Is again, everything is has goods and good and bad on this. So there's a couple of there's some problems here, and I'm gonna I want to deal with one thing, sort of up front. Is one of the criticisms about systematic theology is that it's it's too consistent, and the argument is you have these 66 books and all these different authors and all these different time periods and circumstances. And then you're telling me all this stuff matches up and it's all holds together. So the argument is it just doesn't work because it's too consistent. It's like it, it's like it's contrived. Well, here's my argument on that is, is number one, I, I think that's kind of an interesting argument in that you don't get that same argument about really any other field. Nobody argues that. Um, basic premises and basic ideas of physics are, are problematic because they're too consistent. <clears throat> Just as an example. Um, and so I think what happens here is that, again, you have this, this argument here that you've got all these different people, all these different books, all these different time periods. And so how can you have this consistency? I think the foundation of this argument is where you have people in this kind of relativistic argument about truth and whether we can, number one, whether truth exists and it's sort of, you know, postmodernist thought. And number two, even if you grant that it does exist, can we even know it? So I think there's some underlying uh, assumptions being made here about, about the nature of truth. Uh, having said that, uh, having set that aside, I think the other thing, and this is a criticism that I'm a little more willing to, to think about here, is that often we can start with the end in mind to, well, not coin a phrase, but to quote a phrase. Um, and the argument here is that, you know, our culture and our background tends to shape what we think and tends to shape our theology. And certainly that's true, and it, it can at times result in, well, incorrect notions, less less correct notions, and sometimes some outright bad theology. Um, and, and it can cause some proof texting as well, and we can sort of lean over into that. Um, here, this would be my argument, though, is yes, that happens. Yes, it's a problem. But, you know, we don't, we don't throw out any other profession because of those same things happening. So, for example, we don't, we don't throw out the medical profession because there's, you know, a small percentage of bad doctors, for example. So, I think, you know, you, you read skeptically, you read critically, you, you take the good points and you work on the bad points and you move forward. Um, and within that, sort of my question on all this is, what's the alternative? Uh, because we are going to think something about a topic anyway. We are going to think something about the nature of God. All right. So um, I think it's better to do careful study, and it's better to think about, to examine 
if what we're thinking about the nature of God is correct, rather than to just base those thoughts on assumption or subjectivity or feeling or whatever it happens to be. Um, the other thing I think we often forget in this too, particularly if we're going back and we're looking at doctrinal statements as sort of a you know sort of foundational step in systematic theology is we often forget that these things t took time to develop. So, for example, if you just look at the concept of the Trinity, um, if you look at sort of the immediate, you know, precursors to the Council of Nicaea, or and then move forward into the Council of Constantinople and other things, it took about 350 years for all of this to get argued, work itself out, and bring everybody else along with it, where you have all of this debate going on. Um, you know, and so this is a process that happens. It's not just, they don't just issue, for example, the Council of Nicaea, and everybody says, oh yes, that makes perfect sense. Now we understand everything. That That's just not the way that happened. So there's a process there as well. Now, so that's, uh, that's a little bit about systematic theology and so we're going to jump over now to uh, biblical theology and same process here we'll talk about it as a discipline look a little bit at the background and then how we use it and what are some of the problems here <clears throat> so when we look at biblical theology as a at least as an academic discipline what it's trying to do is to study the doctrines the way they are unfolded in scripture and so basically it looks at God's revelation about particular topics the way they're given as you progress and move your way through Scripture. So, for example, we learn a little bit about, you know, the nature of God in Genesis. We may learn more in Exodus. We may learn more in, I don't know, I'm just going to pick here, let's just say um, Proverbs. We may learn more from Isaiah and on on through the line. Um, <clears throat> so uh, it also, as well as looking at sort of the progression in Scripture, will also look at the progression in history. How do these ideas develop through history as well? And so the argument here is that is that the revelation in Scripture is gradual. Okay, we're not just given everything at once in Genesis. And it runs through a progression from Genesis to Revelation. Now, as far as a background on this, the way this develops is, uh, at least as a discipline, okay, in, in academic studies, it starts in the late 1700s. Um, and it's, it's actually in Germany, of all places. And basically the argument here is uh, this professor, uh, Gabler, who's actually, who's often credited with sort of being the you know, I guess, academic father of biblical theology, basically was arguing that we ought to get away from what he saw as the denominational biases that were in the systematic theology that he saw and just go back to focusing on Scripture. And I think this is where you get some of this notion of and the criticism of systematic theology of was kind of beginning with the end in mind and you get that all the you know, different denominations trying to prove they're right, and uh, you can get into some of the proof texting that goes on. 
But anyway, um, a very good modern, and there are many, but a very good modern um, uh, contemporary person who uses biblical theology approach is D.A. Carson, uh, who basically who argues that you know you you look at Scripture as a unified whole. Um, it is a single narrative, even though it's you know again sixty six books with all the different authors and different time periods. That that overall, it's a it's a unified narrative and a unified whole. And you look at how God reveals Himself as you move through that story. Okay. Um, so how is this used? Well, so number one, you can look at various topics, and we've touched on this. So I kind of feel like I'm beating a little bit of a dead horse here, but uh, we'll go through this again, where you can look at various topics, for example, the nature of God, and you'll look at you'll look at how God reveals his nature through the progression of the biblical story and through the progression of scripture. Okay. Um, you can also, though, pull out particular types of literature. So you could pull out, say, the histories in the, in the uh, Old Testament, or you can pull out, for example, the writings of Paul and look at what they show about particular topics. Um, you can also, as I've mentioned, look at the way the ideas develop through history as well. Then, um, there is, as you do this, some overlap into systematic theology. And in fact, part of where you get this overlap is systematic theology, at least uh, personally what I think is good systematic theology, will go back and will use biblical theology as well and look at how these ideas are presented in the story of Scripture and then how they're developed through history as well. Um, and then last year, and I think D.A. Carlson hits on this, and we've touched on this, is it helps us to see, I think the great thing about biblical theology is it does help us to see that this this is a whole biblical narrative. And, it, and uh, while you can have these separate pieces that it all fits together in a unified whole, whereas systematic theology, because we tend to put everything in categories and sort of departmentalize things they often <clears throat> and I don't think this is intended intended excuse me but things can often be um, separated out too much in systematic theology so like anything else there are some there are potentially at least some problems here as well and so one of the things with biblical biblical theology that can be Problematic doesn't have to be, but it can be, and we have to be careful with this. Is that it is, and I suppose systematic theology can have this as well, but biblical theology can be very dependent upon hermeneutics, and we're not going to get into hermeneutics here. That's maybe another podcast, um, but basically the process of interpreting scripture. Okay, and you know, you can get various interpretations and even and even within that nuances of how scripture is interpreted. Um, also, one of the things that can happen as well is that if we're not careful, we can emphasize perhaps one book or one section over 
the whole of Scripture. So let me give you an example here. And I'm making a generalization just to show you how this can work. But, for example, Proverbs can be read to imply that God rewards good behavior. Okay? Job can be read to imply that that doesn't happen. After all, you know, Job is a good person. God says so. And so, um, you know, but he is, you can make a case, does everything except get rewarded, at least maybe except at the end. Okay. But the point is, you can pull things out and sort of extrapolate, and if you emphasize certain things, it creates a, mm, I think, disjointed picture of Scripture as a whole. Um, to give you a kind of a New Testament example, you can, you know, and this happens a lot where, um, you know, Paul tends to emphasize grace, certainly not exclusively, but you can read a lot of some of his letters as an emphasis on grace, where you have James, which seems to emphasize works. And so this is part of the problem here, is you can pull out and emphasize one area at the expense of other areas. Um, so the study can become a little bit fragmented, um, in fact, similar to systematic theology. Um, and two, if you start focusing on sort of the context and the history and the culture of the writings, you really can get so tied up into that that you, frankly, just lose scripture and you're doing, you're focusing on history and culture and, and not on the scripture itself. So, um, so that's a quick rundown on systematic and biblical theology. So what, what do we do with this? Well, uh, one, I think it's just good to know about generally how these two types of theology work. It's good to kind of know which side you lean toward um, so that you can be aware of the positives that can be brought with those different methods, and but also the potential traps and the potential negatives here that you can guard against as well. Uh, so I just think the knowledge of those is important. Um, second is, I think, because you're, because you're aware of both, it's good to employ both of these, you know, whenever possible, so that biblical theology helps to see, to see Scripture as a, as a narrative whole, it helps us to get at some of the context and the culture as well. Systematic theology helps us to sort of figure out doctrines and know, you know, what we believe and why we believe it. Um, and, and so I think that's important as well. So really, I think here, systematic theology can tell us what we believe. And in some ways, biblical theology can help us to understand how we got there. So hopefully this makes sense. Uh, hopefully again you found this beneficial. Um, again, I want to thank uh, I want to thank uh, L.A. Blackburn for giving me the opportunity to fill in for him on his podcast. And uh, listen, if this has been great, share it, talk about it, um, and uh, hope you guys have a fantastic week. God bless.